Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I'm going to teach you all about carb cycling. Carb cycling is a style of dieting. It's a style of manipulating your macros to elicit changes, possibly. And I say possibly because we don't know for sure if it is 100% soundproof. Um, This is something that has grown popularity over the last few decades. So it was actually even more popular um, back in the day. And I see it trending again. So like fashion, trends come back around, right? Even keto. Keto is really big right now and it was even bigger just five to ten years ago. But if you go back into the 80s and the 90s, like keto was big then too. So this is not a new thing. Um, Diets resurface just like fashion resurfaces. And I see carb cycling becoming more popular once again, um, whereas it's always been a tool in our tool belt um, at TCM, it's always been something that we use with clients when we feel it is necessary. And there's a few reasons why this might be necessary, and that's what I'm going to get into today. But I'm also going to break down some of the science and the research along the way to not only tell you what works, what doesn't, how to do it, but also support that with scientific literature. So today is one of those podcasts where you're probably going to want to grab a notepad, you're probably going to grab a pen and start jotting down ideas. Um, And when this goes live, the blog will not be up yet, but there will be a written version of this podcast on the website as well, which you can find at tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash carb dash cycling. Um, I'm going to title it that, assuming we don't have a blog named that already, (laughs) but uh, that will be up live uh, probably the day after this. So if you're listening to this Monday, right when it came out, you're going to have to wait a little bit, but check it out tomorrow or later in the week. The blog should be up. If you follow me, you'll see me share it as well. Uh, Before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a quick shout out to our coaching because believe it or not, this podcast is actually sponsored by my own company, <laughs> as, as crazy as that sounds, but it's something that I want to make sure I'm bringing to awareness more often. You know, we use this podcast as a free uh, rev avenue of, of generating education, really just providing as much education to people all around the world. We have people listening to this podcast literally in every single continent. We even have people that don't speak English listening to this podcast on YouTube so they can watch subtitles, which is unbelievably humbling to me. Super grateful to have that experience, but I want to shout out our coaching because we have a full team of full-time coaches. This is all they do. This is not a side gig. This is not a hobby. This is their passion. This is their life, and this is their full-time career. We also have a chief science officer on the team who is not only creating some of the research like the stuff I'm going to cite today, but he's also leading our team in education. So we're constantly up to date, not only on the scientific literature, but also on human connection, leadership skills, communication, all the things that really, really do matter most inside of personal coaching. So the reason I'm shouting this out for you is because if you're listening to this, that tells me that you are interested in your health. That tells me that you are striving to be better 
in your performance, in your health, in your longevity, in your body composition, whatever it may be, you're probably training in the gym and or training others in the gym. And I think our program is perfect for you if that's the case. And you want to change your body. You want to change your mind. You want to have some kind of guidance. You want to have some kind of support. You want accountability. And you want a structured method that is proven to work time and time again. The results we will give you will last forever because we're going to teach you exactly how to achieve those. So enough of my sales pitch. But if you are interested in the online coaching program, do me a favor. Click the link in the description of this podcast. It'll take you right to an application form. Fill that out. We will get in touch with you within 24 hours via text message, and we will set up a strategy call with you so you can talk to a coach about your body, about your goals, about your metabolic history, about your dieting history, about your training history, about where you want to go, about everything really, and we'll map things out for you on the call before you commit to anything. Um, So the link to online coaching is in the application. Check out for the blog that will be coming up soon that is on this podcast topic, carb cycling. Uh, And without any further ado, let's jump right into this podcast on carb cycling. Following a diet can be hard psychologically, physiologically, and physically, meaning the diet is just going to wear you down. It's going to wear your body down. It's going to wear you down. It's going to wear your mind down. Uh, It's going to wear your operating systems and your hormonal systems and your metabolic systems down. It's going to wear down your uh, muscular systems, skeletal systems. Like dieting is a stressor. It's something that people need to remember because like all great things, we require a stressor to create adaptation. I was actually just having a conversation with Chris Duffin about this on our recent podcast we did together, The Mad Scientist of Strength Sport. Um, Without stress we will never create adaptation in the body. If we never create adaptation in the body, we never change the body. Success is the byproduct of adaptation. Uh, And you need to facilitate proper recovery in order to adequately adapt, obviously. But if you don't apply that initial stress, then adaptation won't even occur. It doesn't have the opportunity to occur. So this stress is a good thing. However, if we're not careful, it will wear us down. And that's why I'm saying it's going to wear down your body, your mind, your operating, and your hormonal systems along the way. And while the definition of a diet is primarily defined as the restriction of calories, quote unquote, uh, in this context and of this podcast, we're going to be referring to it as more of a blanket statement, like nutrition plan, eating regimen, diet. It's all the same exact thing. Um, Because we're recording this podcast for those interested in losing body fat, changing their aesthetic appearance, improving performance, or just learning more about dieting. Um, But also for average individuals looking to maintain weight or improve performance. So it's not just about losing weight, which is, again, if you type in the word or definition of diet on Google, it's most likely going to use the word restriction in some sense, which to an extent it is. A diet restricts calories to lose weight, but a diet is just the eating regimen that we are on. So let's look at this in a different lens, a more positive lens, if you will. Um, That way, when we're talking about dieting, it's a little bit more, it's easier to digest and you understand what we're really talking about here. So first and foremost, carb cycling is the topic of this podcast. What is carb cycling? Uh, And the basic premise is, is pretty damn simple. We have high carb days and we have low carb days. This cycling approach lets us undulate, so go up and down, wave our carbohydrate intake and therefore our total daily calories day to day. Um, A more advanced approach would have a high, moderate, and a low day um, in sequence of of the multiple different types of sequences we can do with that, which we'll get into later. Um, 
but the, the main concept of carb cycling is just really undulating your carbs up and down. Uh, the reasons the carb cycle in general have, have changed dramatically over the years because it was first created and, and coined as a strategy to optimize the training window, utilizing insulin-sensitive moments uh, and to an extent show a recomposition, simultaneously losing fat and building muscle, right? Because we believe that if we back in the day, and I'll get more into this when we start talking about insulin's effect on muscle growth. If we look at back in the day when, when people really started diving into insulin, and some gurus still believe this and preach this, which is really sad, but they they blamed obesity on insulin. This This insulin hypothesis was basically stating that if we have chronically elevated insulin levels, we will become obese. But that's just not the case. The reality is, is that Overconsuming calories causes obesity, and, and overconsuming calories is associated with high insulin levels because eating more equals more insulin, but it's a correlation, not a causation, right? So um, it's kind of like the chicken before the egg thing, right? But these these reasons have, have cycled over time, right? Because once upon a time, we believed that we had to only – we had to time our carbs at insulin-sensitive windows if we wanted that car, those carbs to store as muscle and not fat, right? So this meant – fasting maybe longer, maybe doing exercise before or after eating or eating carbs only around your workout window, so on and so forth. Um, we re- later realized that's not totally true. Um, and it's definitely not uh, how it was marketed kind of like as the quote unquote best way to diet for fat loss, you know, and it was like that for years, but it, it's not a magic trick. It's not that way. Um, and the problem with that statement is that it's just not true. There is no best way universally to diet. Part of the reason we, um, as the evidence-based community, have moved on and away from carb cycling is because there are countless studies done on daily intake at this point. So we have a slightly different view of whether or not carb cycling is even beneficial from a fat loss or hypertrophic perspective, because in most situations, it just doesn't make that much of a difference at all. Um, so, and, and we can kind of get into that with these these next studies. So a good example of this um, few studies actually. Um, and I'll explain just so you can kind of understand, have a visual or like kind of paint the picture and give some context before we dive into like how to carb cycle and even if you should. So one study done to compare a ketogenic diet, so an ultra low carb diet with a moderate carb diet, which was like more of a balanced approach, showed no difference in weight loss when calories and protein were equated. What this shows is that the manipulation of fats and carbs doesn't really matter for weight loss as long as calorie deficit is achieved and you're consuming enough protein along with that calorie deficit, right? Another study uh, or more of an experiment by, by uh, Dr. Walter Kempner, some people might know this as the rice experiment, uh, took obese individuals where and, and only gave them carbohydrate-rich foods. It was called the rice diet, and they basically just ate white rice um, and had a little bit of additional fruit and or fruit juices. But nonetheless, they were only consuming carbs, like literally 100% of their calories were coming from carbs. Um, but they maintained a calorie deficit throughout the experiment. And at the end of this experiment, there was an average of 141 pounds lost across subject. And that's an average. So that means there's some people more, some people less, but to have an average of 141 pounds lost in a, in an obesity study is insane. Um, and they did blood work before and after. So all of their blood work from a health perspective improved, which again, lets us understand that overconsumption of calories and body fat levels being too high are the biggest disease risk factors, not processed food or white rice or anything like that. It's, it's, it's truly 
body fat and overconsumption of calories. So now um, we also have studies that show an improvement in recovery from weight training when utilizing a carb cycling approach. So in this, as well as some others, we really just see the significance in increasing carbs around the training window in order to elicit better recovery, uh, most likely from glycogen replenishment, cortisol management, potentially improving protein uh, efficiency post-workout, muscle protein synthesis, which we'll get into in, in a sec. Um, but, but these three studies kind of paint the picture. We have a, a low fat, uh, a high carb, I'm sorry, a low carb, high fat diet that didn't outperform a moderate carb diet. We have an all carb diet, which just proved the fact that calories in versus calories out is really all that matters. And then we have some studies that show we might get a benefit around the training window, but that's not carb cycling. It's just timing your nutrients, which we'll get into later as well. Um, and based on these few things, we can assume, assume like mainly just two big key driving factors. Cycling carbs or calories up and down may not give us much benefit from a fat loss perspective, at least from a theoretical thought process, which I will get into in a sec why it might matter to you for a fat loss perspective um, because we're speaking individually, not on average in a theoretical setting from a scientific study. Uh, The second thing, carbohydrates shouldn't be restricted if you're weight training, period. We know that it's the body's preferred fuel source. It improves recovery from training session and it doesn't inhibit our fat loss. We know this by Dr. Walter Kempner's experiment with obese individuals who lost a ton of weight only eating rice and fruit. So that tells us that we don't need to cut carbs up or down in order to elicit fat loss. And we know that we're going to recover better from training if we have carbs in the diet. Um, so why would you even carb cycle? You know, we just debunked it essentially and, and showed you that there's no reason to, but there are still a few applicable scenarios where carb cycling can be advantageous and aid you in multiple different phases of dieting, which is why we recorded this podcast. I would not have recorded this podcast if I saw absolutely no context (laughs) in this strategy. Uh, so let's go through a few scenarios here. Scenario number one of why carb cycling might work for you. Improved adherence. Adherence and consistency are the king and queen of the dietary kingdom. We know this. We know that a calorie deficit is required. And in many conversations, I've said that calorie balance is in fact the king at this table. It's literally the most important thing. However, if you can't adhere or stay consistent with that caloric balance, energy intake, does it even matter? This is where we have to know principles and consider methods. Principles never change. Methods often do, right? So this is the quote I've said a million times on this podcast, but you're going to hear it again. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods often change. Principles never do. So this is why, again, we need to know our principles and we need to consider methods because the principles don't change, but the methods change how we approach those principles. Calorie balance is a principle. Carb cycling is a method. So if carb cycling is a method and it may allow you to adhere better to that calorie deficit, which is a principle, we're utilizing methods to stick to the principles we know work. Um, I've, I've created an a infographic that I'll link uh, when, when you guys go check out the blog of this. You'll see it in there. Uh, but essentially what this infographic kind of shows is you know, seven days of a week altering high and low days. Um, or seven days in a week with a linear intake across the week. So we have one group having a moderate calorie diet. So they're eating an average uh, calorie deficit, like just a, a, a slightly 
a slight deficit, right? A small deficit, not a very aggressive deficit every day of the week, seven days a week. And then we have individuals having a surplus and a big deficit, surplus and a big deficit, surplus and a big deficit, alternating back and forth across the week. And if you consider the highs and lows, by the end of the week, it will mirror the the moderate intake on average, uh, which means that you know, this is, this is, this is essentially why it's so important to consider weekly averages for intakes, average intakes for individuals looking to lose weight. We can't, we really can't go off a day-to-day intake or a day-to-day weight. We have to look at every week. We have to base their caloric intake off the weekly average of what they should be hitting in order to lose X amount of weight per week. And we need to watch their weight on average per week to make a good judgment or estimate of where their weight's actually trending, Right. Um, so back to this specific scenario about adherence, um, adherence is the number one priority and, and we know that, but at times for certain individuals, a carb cycling approach might actually allow for better adherence and easier consistency. Adherence is the ability to consistently perform any act, task, or practice. In this case, a calorie deficit is that practice. But what if a moderately low intake every single day just wears on you mentally? right? It just kind of sucks. Whereas a carb cycling approach becomes a little bit more applicable and beneficial for the average person because they have high days and low days, right? This is this way they have days that definitely suck, but days that don't suck at all, rather than just kind of shitty days over and over again, right? Kind of difficult days. Let's have a hard, challenging day. Let's get through it. And then let's have a really easy day where we have more flexibility. And this is where, again, carb cycling becomes way more beneficial and applicable. Um, for some of the clients we work with, it can be tough to have just that, that low intake every single day. It's, it's not brutal by any means, and they're not suffering, but it withers at them over time. And, and a good example of this is um, what I'm doing right now. I, I'm in the midst of my cut, and I do not carb cycle at all. I don't have a refeed. I have a linear deficit. However, I'm consuming 235 grams carbs per day which for me, my body size, my height, my activity level is a good amount of carbs to lose body fat on. So we're dropping weight and I'm not starving. I'm not craving foods. I don't have bad biofeedback. So there's no need to implement any type of carb cycling approach to adhere better because I'm easily adhering better to this. But we might hit a plateau. We will hit a plateau. And when we hit that plateau, it might be beneficial for us to drop calories lower on some days and keep them this high on some days. Because then I feel normal half the week, right? Even if I feel like I'm really dieting half the week, half the week I'm not. And, and just like those clients I was talking about that just kind of don't like being in a kind of low intake every single day and, and kind of suffering every day just a little bit. Uh, for these clients, we implement a carb second approach that allows them to have truly low days, which are a grinder, and alternating with truly high days, which allows them to experience more better biofeedback, more flexibility, and better performance. Uh, but altering up and down like this makes those low days uh, much easier than even the moderate days after weeks of dieting in most cases, right? So some people, they obviously don't agree with that. But after eight weeks of dieting, it might be nice to have some really low days and some high days rather than just still plugging away. Um, and we also know that increasing carbohydrates temporarily can increase thyroid output, which is going to have a downstream positive effect on hormones, obviously, because the thyroid's kind of like the control center. I mean, if you haven't listened to the thyroid podcast, definitely go check that out or read the blog that Lisa wrote. It's amazing. Um, and our metabolism, right? And it has also been shown to help control hunger levels. 
again, making adherence easier. So this thyroid effect that's going to help with our hormones, metabolism, and our hunger and craving levels, that's going to improve our adherence even more, which is adds to the fact that this carb cycling approach might be beneficial if adherence is an issue. You know what I absolutely hate? Prepping my own meals. I hate sitting there and cooking meal after meal, putting them in containers, saving them myself, doing all the work, and they never turn out good because I suck at cooking. But that's why I started using Eat to Evolve. In fact, you can head over to eat2evolve.us and enter the promo code BOOM20 to save 20% on your first order. They give you free shipping if you order over $100, which is pretty damn easy to do if you're setting up most of your meals, and it's never frozen, so it's actually fresh. This is not some microwavable mush you're gonna get from any other company. This is a gourmet meal, and if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen some of those meals on my story. My favorite being the maple shredded pork with sweet potato hash. But the reason I wanted to bring this to your attention is because this is our newest podcast sponsor, and I couldn't be more excited because it's actually good meals done for me. They have the macros on the container and they're going to work for our clients as well. So if you are in need of a meal prep service, you're tired of prepping your own meals, or you just suck at cooking and you're too lazy to do it yourself or learn, this is the perfect place to go. Again, eat2evolve.us. There's a link in the description of this podcast and you can enter the promo code BOOM20 to save 20% on your first order. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. Now, the other element we have to consider is that planning becomes harder if our diet is changing day to day. So if this causes more stress to an individual, we're going to stay away from it because it's just not worth it, right? Because for some people, even though a high day theoretically would feel better and maybe they would improve adherence from that perspective, theoretically speaking, it causes them to have to think and plan a little bit too much. And that can be a stressor that, that weighs on them and doesn't allow them to adhere as easily. Scenario number two. Improved performance. Um, this one is somewhat debatable because having low days can cause us to under recover and potentially underperform in the future. So although the high days may refill glycogen and promote better energy in the gym, the low days may cause the exact opposite effect and the net benefit is low due to the contrast. Um, in one study, they showed that complete glycogen replenishment took up to 24 hours to be achieved. What this means is that if we train in the morning, It'd be smarter to carb cycle by having more calories on your off days, or at least on any day that falls before a training session. Um, but if you train in the evening, you can get away with this improving performance because you'll have all day, likely two to four meals prior to training in which you can get an adequate amount of, of carbs to both replenish the glycogen that's been depleted from the previous day and support glycogen levels for better performance today. In um, another study though, done on competing bodybuilders, which is kind of the gold standard for this kind of stuff, in my opinion, because, you know, if we do a study, this is why I kind of, I take all the metabolic adaptation research with a grain of salt. Like it's, it's definitely helpful. All, all research is, but from, a, from an, somebody, a coach that's very experienced dealing with people that have chronically dieted, those individuals are a different situation, right? So if we do a study on sedentary, overweight people who do not train, and try to test for metabolic adaptation, how applicable is that compared to the the lady doing CrossFit five times a week that's been cycling chronic diets for the last two years? It's completely different people. So the stress, the hormones, the metabolism, all these effects are going to be different, right? But point being, um, if we have a study with bodybuilders, that's a huge win because, I mean, they live this shit. They're doing exactly what we want to do to the extreme level. Um, and in this study specifically – 
Researchers showed that carb loading the day prior to a competition increased muscle girth and thickness, so fullness, um, which led to the judges identifying improvements from before to after as well, which is anecdotal, but coupled with the, the data, it's pretty helpful and they're well experienced. So you can trust the data coming from these judges, right? But what this would tell us is that it may not be a uh, great to carb cycle for performance if it means you're bringing your carbs too low the days prior to training. However, we also have to remember that any athlete who is serious about training hard and optimizing performance is most likely not in a deficit in the first place. So their low days might actually be at maintenance while the hardest days in the gym may be in a slight surplus due to adding some peri-workout carbs, um, which we'll touch on in a little bit just as far as carb timing. But in this case, we are more than likely going to improve performance undoubtedly, right? Because we know carbs stimulates better performance and replenishment of glycogen, which is going to fuel recovery for better performance in the future. Um, so we kind of have these like two sides of it, right? We know that uh, carb cycling might not be best if you train early in the morning. Uh, it might be okay if you're training in the evening, but we also know if you're consuming carbs the day before, you're going to have more muscle girth and thickness, which from an appearance standpoint is great for bodybuilders, but also from a, that just kind of proves to us that we're refilling glycogen and that's benefiting our muscle mass, which is going to benefit our training. Um, but some of this also makes you believe too, like if you're not chasing fat loss and you don't have to create a deficit, there might not be any reason to cycle carbs at all because if you're at maintenance or trying to build muscle and trying to grow, why would you cycle up and down? You want to keep carbs high constantly, which kind of gets us into our next scenario. The next scenario scenario where you might want to carb cycle would be to increase muscle mass. Um, and we just, so we just went over the fact that simply increasing glycogen stores is going to feel better, harder, and more high volume training. So that alone tells us that more carbs equals more muscle. Um, we'll go over nutrient timing in a sec, which will show you how timing carbs around your workouts can also fuel cortisol management, muscle protein synthesis, and glycogen replenishment for faster recovery, also leading to muscle growth. But another key aspect of carbs that people forget to understand is that they are anabolic by themselves. See, again, like I talked about earlier with insulin, for a long time, gurus, and it still kind of happens, they make insulin out to be the boogeyman, right? This mystical thing that causes obesity in the general population. But with plenty of research done over the years, we've realized that this is just not the case. Insulin doesn't make people fat. Over-consuming calories makes people fat. High insulin levels are associated with over-consuming calories, and therefore it gets correlated with obesity, which then leads people to misunderstanding the difference between correlation and causation. But for muscle growth specifically, this insulin spike is actually a good thing. And when we consume carbs, we directly influence our insulin levels because they rise with carbohydrate consumption. This is going to blunt the cortisol response we have to training or life stress in general because cortisol and insulin have an inverse relationship, meaning when insulin goes up from eating carbohydrates, cortisol goes down. So from a post-workout perspective and managing daily stress in general, which can cause delays in recovery and therefore muscle growth, this is a very positive thing. Um, and beyond all this, insulin also has a positive effect on amino acids in the body. Insulin regulates amino acid and glucose uptake into the muscle cell. This means if insulin is not spiked on a regular basis, you will have a tough time building muscle um, at all. So um, it, it's important for us to remember that Number one, insulin doesn't lead, high insulin levels do not lead to extra fat mass, overconsumption of calories do. Number two, increasing insulin levels has anabolic factors that lead to more muscle growth. Number three, we can utilize carb cycling to influence that insulin level spike 
around our training and or throughout the week to improve muscle growth. However, what we have to remember too is that at a certain point, it doesn't make sense to carb cycle because if you're going into a surplus, like do you want to have days where you're just consuming an ungodly amount of carbohydrates to have this insulin anabolic effect or do you just consider a surplus every day? So you have enough carbohydrates to stimulate this insulin and muscle growth response every single day. What's the point of having these low days and these contrast of high days? It's not the contrast between the low to the high that causes this insulin spike that leads to muscle growth. It's this. It's it's just having enough carbohydrates in the diet period. So for most people trying to gain, carb cycling might not be that advantageous really because you'd probably be better off consuming enough carbs every single day and having some carbs in every single meal. So you're kind of constantly tapping on that insulin trigger and, and getting it to spike, dropping cortisol, uh, bumping up these anabolic hormones, um, and continually building muscle. If you are in a fat loss phase and your goal is to maintain as much muscle as possible, in that scenario, it might be helpful because we need to achieve a deficit, but we want to have enough carbs, especially around training, in order to stimulate these anabolic hormones that are going to lead to more muscle growth. But in this case, because you're in a deficit by the end of the week, it's more likely muscle maintenance. Still a very positive thing because your number one goal while losing body fat should be to maintain as much health, hormones, and muscle tissue as possible while consistently losing body fat and weight. Now, next, carb cycling to improve nutrient timing. Um, Nutrient timing has been a really funny thing to follow in the evidence-based community for the last decade. Um, At one point, it was literally all that matters. It's like daily calories? Who cares about that? Are you drinking your post-workout shake immediately after training? And then the pendulum kind of swung uh, and it became completely obsolete. It's like nutrient timing? Stop worrying about that. If your daily intake is met, then you have nothing left to do. And once again, the pendulum is swinging back as we are starting to see more focus on nutrient timing with the discovery of chrononutrition, uh, intra-workout carbohydrates, uh, products like highly branched cyclic dextrin, which have proven to improve muscle growth and recovery in athletes in the everlasting ways of the common bodybuilder who just follows a high-carb diet. Um, and like I said before, these these trends in the diet industry do full, swing full circle. So now we're starting to see this pop up again, just like we did in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, so it's here. So where do we stand at Tailored Coaching Method, right? What do I think about nutrient timing? Um, and like most things, we're right in the middle because extremes rarely ever lead to, to positive outcomes in anybody and, and honestly in any thing in life, not just nutrition. Um, nutrient timing matters for improved energy, digestion, recovery, and adherence. We have to plan uh, the build the plan around your training and your daily schedule in order to optimize consistency. So pre, intra, and post-workout nutrition becomes more and more important the leaner you get um, for a few reasons and the more intense your training becomes. Also, it also becomes, it's kind of like this, this bell curve, right? When you first start, I actually find that nutrient timing is more important. You can't overcomplicate it. You have to simplify it. But when somebody first starts, it's almost more important because if you give them a daily caloric intake to hit and just say, go for it, however many meals you feel like, they have no experience. They don't know what to do. But if I say, hey, most people do best with between three to five meals, and that's what studies show to improve energy and recovery best. So what times can you eat? Um, and let's decide between three, four, or five meals. So we decide how many meals, we decide when they can eat, we decide what they like to eat in the morning, how much time do you have to cook in these different windows, should some be a snack, should some be a full meal, should some be home prep, should some be store-bought, 
and then we can meal plan and, and create this nutrient timing template that they can follow. When you consistently follow that, there are some some positive benefits that occur from um, uh, uh, from nutrient timing. So even just just keeping your 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 meals at the same time and following a nutrient timing structure is going to lead to um, more positive insulin levels. It's going to improve energy expenditure, so many calories you burn on a daily basis, and it's going to improve your ability to adhere to that caloric deficit as well. Um, so. It's important. Now, as we go on that bell curve and you start to get used to things, it becomes less important because you got the fundamentals down. You know how to hit your macros and it doesn't become that important. And then when you start coming to the other side of it where you're trying to get really, really lean um, and you're more advanced, not usually more advanced in the sense of building muscle because like I said, if you're advanced and you're trying to build muscle, you should be in a surplus every day. But when we get to that other end of the bell curve, um, you're leaner, which means that your body is fighting to maintain muscle and it's fighting to maintain performance and energy in the gym, which means that you need to use every tool you can to optimize both energy and recovery and muscle tissue maintenance. So that means that nutrient time becomes more important the leaner you get and the more intense your training becomes, recovery demands go up, which means nutrient timing becomes more more uh, common, more popular, more needed as well. The other thing to consider is that it's also pretty important when someone has a high-stress lifestyle and is participating in an intense training regimen. So because we're trying to manage and mitigate the cortisol response and fluctuations that that individual experiences, it's important to have those carbs in the diet, period, but um, even timing them properly around stressful times of the year, stressful times of the week, stressful times of the day, um, high training periods, because if you're if you're a business executive, you have a family to take care of, and you're training super hard, it's like stress, 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 sympathetic, 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 cortisol, cortisol, cortisol. So we have to manage that, and, and nutrient timing and carbohydrates can can help us manage that. Um, but what does the science say? Uh, what does the science say about nutrient timing, and uh, specifically around the training window? Um, if positive then maybe carb cycling can be beneficial as it may allow for more carbohydrates in the diet on intense training days. And who doesn't want more carbs? So um, I kind of boiled this down into some bullets of like the general thought process and, and what research generally says, kind of like a recap or a bullet point or a cliff notes uh, of what the research says on nutrient timing. High volume training depletes liver and muscle glycogen stores. Therefore, a high carbohydrate diet that maximizes glycogen stores may be beneficial for an individual training in this fashion. So if you're a high volume training athlete, might be important. Uh, if rapid restoration of glycogen is required due to extreme volumes or long durations of physical activity, an aggressive refeeding of carbohydrates that are high glycemic, like white rice, bagels, stuff like that, may be appropriate. To enhance that, Add caffeine into the mix, uh, three to eight milligrams per uh, kg of body weight to be exact, um, and combine the carbohydrates with a protein source. Um, so that shows to uptake the carbohydrates better if we combine caffeine and protein, and I'll also add fruit and salt, but we'll get to that in a sec. Um, splitting up an adequate protein intake, uh, adequate protein intake is going to be anywhere between 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight for most people. There are outliers that can go above or below that. Um, but splitting up your protein intake across three to five meals per day evenly has been shown to improve muscle protein synthesis, which we know helps muscle growth, um, to maximize, uh, maximally stimulate that muscle pr protein synthetic response from training or a protein-based meal, a bolus of 20 to 40 grams of protein rich in essential amino acids is recommended. 
Uh, this applies to the post-workout window as well. Mus muscle protein synthesis will increase maximally by having proteins within three hours of training. And a protein rich in EAAs, essential amino acids, is most likely going to be uh, whey, dairy, meat, fish, poultry, stuff like that, animal products typically, uh, eggs, so on and so forth. Um, consuming casein protein, specifically in this study, was 30 to 40 grams prior to sleep can acutely increase muscle protein synthesis and metabolic rate throughout the night. Uh, without influencing lipolysis, which is the breakdown of fats, right, which is basically fat loss. Um, this may help recovery, muscle mass, and body composition. Pre-training, one to three hours prior, carbohydrates can refill muscle glycogen, help prevent muscle breakdown post-workout. Glucose and amino acids will still be present from the pre-workout window, um, stimulate the release of insulin along, uh, allowing anabolic signals to take place, and increase blood glucose levels to help performance uh, and avoid hypoglycemia, which is, is your hypo. If you've experienced hypoglycemia, it's not fun. You just have these like big drops and crashes, right? But the point being is if we have carbohydrates pre-training, we're not only filling muscle glycogen to, uh, help us with, um, these anabolic signals, this increase in blood glucose and these increase in glycogen to fuel the training we're about to do. But also some of that is still not going to be digested and fully broken down. So it's going to start aiding the post-workout window even though it's a pre-workout meal, unless your training is six hours long, right? If you're doing an hour to hour and a half of weight training, which most people listen to this will be, it's perfect. And it's going to do that. Um, combining carbohydrate sources, uh, such as starch and fruit. So glucose and fructose utilizes multiple glucose transporters in the body, um, which may increase carbohydrate absorption, um, rates and further stimulate an improved rate of performance. So basically what this is, is saying is, and, and I believe there's some research showing caffeine and salt is, does this too. So if we have like a huge mix of stuff with your post-workout meal has caffeine, salt, protein, uh, fruit, and uh, starch. So starch is glucose, uh, fruit is fructose. Um, we're going to utilize multiple glucose transporters. We're going to be more efficiently using both of those glucose transporters to get more carbohydrates into the cell, into the liver, into the bloodstream, um, and it's going to increase absorption rates and it's going to further stimulate and improve performance um, and recovery if, if this is falling afterwards. So as you can see, the research does support nutrient timing pretty well. You know, there are some studies that don't support it, and uh, those studies kind of just show that it's neutral. So there's no studies. So, so basically nutrient timing comes down to this. It's either a positive thing that's going to benefit you or it's a neutral thing that's not really going to benefit you much, but it's also not going to harm you or negatively impact your training, your body composition, your muscle growth, your strength, anything. So we encourage it because at the end of the day, it can't hurt. It can only help you. Um, and we know all these other things about nutrient timing, helping insulin sensitivity, energy expenditure, adherence to the diet, so energy, digestion, um, even thyroid health. We can manipulate nutrient timing and how many carbs or proteins or fats we're eating per meal, how many meals a day we're eating, and that can improve your thyroid health if you have pre-existing thyroid dysfunction. So there is reason to focus on nutrient timing. There's a reason to believe it works, and the research shows it, especially for people who are training hard and want to maximize their results. Um, now, we have to wrap this up with some application, you know, so we've kind of gone over quite a bit today. We've gone over what carb cycling even is. Uh, we broke down some studies showing where it may work, where it doesn't matter. We've gone into why you would 
carb cycle, which is going to come down to adherence, performance, or muscle growth slash muscle maintenance. Um, we've also discussed nutrient timing, and we've even broke down the research that supports nutrient timing. So the only thing left is how do you structure this, right? So there's two ways to structure carb cycling. Um, way number one is diet breaks and refeeds. Um, they are technically a form of carb cycling. If we strip uh, the definition of carb cycling into the, its most simple definition, its most simple term, it's essentially the undulation of increasing carbs, which means that technically taking a refeed day is cycling your carbs up and down, right? I'm reaching, but I still put diet breaks and refeeds into the category because a lot of the benefits of carb cycling are also going to happen during a diet break or a refeed. Glycogen replenishment, training improvement, blood glucose, adherence, so on and so forth. So it does help, right? Flexibility, so I still throw diet breaks and refeeds into the category, and there's a few different ways. I've done a ton of content on diet breaks, so you can go check out um, some of the content I've done on nutrition, nutrial, uh, nutritional periodization. We have like three blogs and two podcasts, I think. So um, I'll link those in the description, or you can just go to our website and just search on the blog periodization, and you'll see all of them. And I talk about all these in there. But the, the different types of this we can do is like a 6-1 refeed, which would be six days in a row in a deficit, taking one refeed per week. We can do a 7 to 14 day, 2 to 3 day, which would be 7 to 14 days, 1 to 2 weeks uh, in a deficit, and then 2 to 3 days in a refeed. So taking multiple refeed days in a row because studies do show if we're going to slow down the metabolic adaptation at all, if we're going to slow down met hormonal adaptations, if we're going to truly replenish glycogen, we need more than 24 hours. So I would say 48 to 72 hours is best. When you go closer to that two-week period of deficit, probably three days, I have a lot of people that do 14-day deficit, three-day uh, diet break, and it works really well. Um, you can also do two weeks on, one week off. So 14 days consistently in a deficit, and then seven full days off. You need a more aggressive approach in order to do that. Um, same with a 5-2 approach, five days in a row in deficit, two days refeed. Both of those, especially the 5-2 because it's a shorter time window, you're going to need a more aggressive deficit during those deficit days because if you don't, it's not a big enough contrast. You're not tapping into a deficit, a big enough deficit to really see any, um, weight loss, but, um, it does work, right? So 14, seven, uh, 21, seven is another one, three weeks on one week off. That's another really good one. And then last one, at least four weeks on one week off. And what you can actually do is start with one week on one week off. And then when they hit a plateau, go two weeks. And then when they hit a plateau, three weeks, and then we hit a plateau four weeks. And now we can start dropping calories, right? So instead of just immediately dropping calories, let's extend the deficit period out um, until we're at a place where it's a good rhythm and we're just going to have to drop calories. But there's a lot of different ways to implement diet breaks. And that's just forms of periodization, again, which I highly recommend you go check out the blogs we've done on it. Um, now, carb cycling is going to be a little different. This is where throughout the week we're going low, high, low, high, whatever, right? So there's four main ways to do this. We can do a low, low, moderate, low, low, high, right? And then repeat. So that's six days. Most of these are not going to equal seven day calendars, um, which is another reason why carb cycling might be difficult. I'm going to show one that's a little bit easier to follow, but for some people, it's just hard to plan because, you know, some Sundays are low days, some are high days, some are moderate days. It just kind of cycles around. It's difficult. Um, but this would be two low days in a row, then a moderate day, two low days, and then a really high day right? Um, then you can go low, low, high. So you can kind of switch that up and literally just go low day, low day, high day, repeat over and over again. You can go low, high, low, high. So you're literally just alternating every day. 
Um, and last but not least, you can just put your training days as high days and your, your low days as rest days or cardio days, which is what I typically recommend. It's the easiest to adhere to. It's the, the most set in stone with your calendar and it supports training and nutrient timer like we talked about earlier. So in, in my opinion, if you're going to approach a carb cycling style of dieting, um, I would probably, especially if you're training in the gym three to four days a week, go with high days in the gym, low days uh, as rest days or cardio days, and you're probably going to be able to adhere better and get the most out of it. If you are following a five to six day split, it's hard to do carb cycling like that because you only have one or two rest days per week, and it's not really carb cycling much. Right? You're not taking advantage of it. In that situation, I might go low, low, moderate, low, low, high. Um, and this might end up leading to six deficit days and one refeed day because if I'm going low, low, moderate, low, low, high, and then that stops working, what do I do? Well, I changed that moderate day to a low day, and now I'm just doing low days, and then a sixth day is, is a high day. So you might as well just take one refeed per week. Um, so at the end of the day, like I think personally, I think diet breaks and refeeds typically work best for fat loss. That's my conclusion. That's what I'm going to sh- say with based on my experience, based on what I've read into, and based on all the research I did for this podcast here, I do think diet breaks and refeeds are probably the best form of carb cycling for you. Um, the second best form of carb cycling for anybody listening to this is probably going to be pairing your high days on training and your low days on rest days. It's the easiest to adhere to. It supports nutrient timing and training performance. Um, and it's just easier to plan into your schedule. So that's it guys. That's all I got for you today. Carb cycling 101. Um, that was longer than I expected, which I'm actually happy about. We dove really deep into carb cycling. And as always, if you need any help with anything, if you have any questions about today's podcast or any other topic in the health, fitness, entrepreneurship, nutrition world, please shoot me an email, Cody at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. I love talking to the listeners. (laughs) 